up, guys? Um, welcome back to By the Numbers. Uh, it is um, May 17th, Monday. Um, the boys are all back home from college. Uh, just wrapped up our finals uh, schedule these past couple weeks. And uh, we apologize for, for kind of the extended uh, hiatus there, but uh, we're, we're back in business now, ready to talk some sports. Yeah, absolutely. Great to be back. It's been a little bit of a downtime, but I realize looking into it, we have more to talk about than I initially thought. So excited to be back. Absolutely. A lot has gone on since we've last talked, but uh, you know, happy it's summer. For sure. Uh, all right. So to kind of kick it off, um, we'll talk about um, the Wildcats. Um, recently, uh, the new Hall of Fame class um, just came out for NBA players and uh, collegiate head coaches. Um, and Jay Wright uh, was named to the Hall of Fame, uh, deservedly so. Obviously, he has had a legendary career, and this honor was only a, a matter of time um, before he was inducted. Um, I think we can all agree that um, he is one of the greatest uh, college basketball coaches of all time. Um, it's kind of funny to have him be inducted, you know, during his career, um, you know, being ongoing because you don't really think of players or coaches, by for that matter, being considered for like the Hall of Fame while they're still actively coaching or playing. But uh, regardless, I think, you know, he's first ballot kind of guy. Um, and uh, yeah, not much more to say than that. Yeah, no, it's great to see the recognition there. And um, you know, I'm just so happy to happy that he's not, you know, taking that recognition and saying, oh, let me go to the NBA or something like he's he has his dream job. And I'm happy that he's staying with Nova. Yeah, definitely well deserved. Cool to see all the guys. Uh, get elected to the Hall of Fame this weekend, you know, Kobe posthumously and then uh, Kevin Garnett. It was it was a great, great to see the guys kind of get elected and then seeing Jay Wright al- alongside those guys, you know, well-deserved. I can't say much more than that. And it just makes me more that much more excited for next season with Villanova. Cannot wait for college basketball to be back. For sure. Um, it's also kind of funny. Um, ESPN had this huge like Instagram graphic of all the uh, players and like coaches that got inducted and, um, they listed all of the NBA players first um, and then mixed head coaches in the middle, but like buried Paul Pierce at the very end because of like how he got fired from ESPN. So it's always funny to see like big media outlets, like be really petty with like former employees, even though, you know, Paul Pierce is a, uh, for sure a deserved hall of fame kind of guy. That's pretty funny. I didn't see that, but yeah, um, that was pretty short, but you know, that's all you can really talk about with, you know, Jay Reddy's legend. Um, so with that being said, let's move on to, um, the schedule talk, um, for the NFL. So, um, recently, uh, the NFL released, um, every team's 2021 schedule. Um, they actually increased the number of games next season to 18, which is just kind of weird. Cause it's like, you don't really, 17, um, like, sorry. Oh, 17, but like with the bye week, I think there's 18, my bad, but yeah, there's, um, 18 weeks, uh, 17 games. Um, but that's just kind of weird. Cause like as an NFL fan, you, you like think of your team's record as like, Oh, I hope we can go, you know, 10 and six this year, 12 and four. But, but like now you're adjusting to like 12 and five and like 10, 10 and seven, which is just weird to me as a fan. Who's always like kind of followed that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just intrigued by what you guys have to say about the way that it was released. Cause I know, um, like, like the first few games kind of get leaked throughout the day. And like, personally, I don't really pay attention to it um, when it's all released. I just kind of see it when it's, when we get closer to the season, but I know some people really enjoy like the build up to like what the actual schedule is. Um, but yeah, what do you guys have to say? Yeah. Just on, on how you're saying that they extended the season. 
I mean, I think it makes sense because nobody watches the preseason games really anyways, and like the stars don't play in them. And the the NFL is always making money moves. So as you can see by the matchups that they put together, you know, they're they're not playing around. They're they're making dollars on these matchups. Um, I want to talk about the Patriots versus Bucks matchup, um, which could be like one of the most hyped up regular season games of all time. Um, so, but you know, it's just, they're, they're trying to make money and, and I think this will make them money. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that, that kind of is super excited about the schedule drop. I agree, but seeing some of the matchups in week one, I mean, I guess we can talk about kind of some of the week one games or at least some of the one looking forward, looking at those and maybe look at the strength of schedule for some of the teams. Week one, Cleveland at Kansas City, I think, is probably the marquee game for me. Just like I think the Browns are going to be contenders this year. I mean, that team is – I mean, if Baker can can continue playing at the level he did and maybe even take a step up, that team's probably contending in Kansas City. is Kansas City. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, that's all that needs to be said there. Um, and then another one I'm really interested in is uh, Bears at Rams. I was a big Justin Fields guy. And the Bears are going up against Aaron Donald and the Rams in week one on Sunday night, I'm really interested to see if Justin Fields gets started week one because Matt Nagy, that front office, is really battling for their job at this point. Uh, And it'll be interesting to see whether they are going to trot Andy Dalton out there to really just take the hiss from Aaron Donald and that that Rams defense, which in and of itself is going to be an interesting thing to watch because Brandon Staley's John, the the architect of that defense, has, has departed. So... I mean, there's a lot of different storylines for a lot of these games. Uh, those are the top two for me so far. And then also Chargers at Washington because uh, I think the Chargers are going to be good this year as well. If Justin Herbert, there's been a lot of notable quarterbacks who've taken big steps up in year two, uh, like Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Carson Wentz. Uh, and then playing at Washington, Washington has bolstered that defense and also added Ryan Fitzpatrick. So, I mean, those are just three of the week one matchups I'm looking forward to. And really looking at this, it was just like – I. Can't can't wait for football to be back. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm uh, so hyped for this season. Um, football, obviously, it's my favorite sport. I think it's just like the hype and like build up since there aren't that many games. Um, it's just is a whole different kind of ball game when you're thinking about the importance uh, week to week. But the game I'm looking forward to the most is actually uh, Panthers Jets week one uh, because I just am so intrigued by um, if Sam Darnold can be a completely different player. Uh, without Adam Gase. I think it's really interesting that they kind of stuck him with that Jets revenge game um, in his um, debut with the with, with the Panthers, because usually, um, you know, he's he's going to need time to like build up a, a rapport with his receivers and uh, McCaffrey. Um, but I do think that the Adam Gase kind of curse is real. Um, you know, we've seen what uh, Ryan Tannehill has been able to do without Adam Gase as his head coach in Tennessee, going from like a backup uh, to a, like a quality starter. I think Sam Darnold, you know, he was top three, you know, pick for a reason. I think he's got a lot of talent. Um, and they they did a lot of great things this offseason to really help him out. Uh, they drafted Terrace Marshall from LSU, who's a legit number one receiver, kind of fell in the draft because of injury concerns. Um, he's getting, you know, one of the best running backs in the game with, with McCaffrey back. And he's already got some top tier targets there with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. So I'm uh, super excited to see him kind of become a new player. And I think it'd be awesome if the Panthers just, um, you know, ran the Jets into the ground week one. Um, Cause I do think that the Jets kind of, you know, 
ruined his career early by trying to lose games to get earlier in the draft and just kind of stunting his growth, uh, you know, without giving him marquee weapons on the outside. So that's my number one game um, I'm looking forward to. Um, obviously, I'm a huge Vikings fan, so uh, their game I'm going to be looking forward to a lot as well. But um, we can talk a little bit about just uh, like the top five teams in terms of like strength of schedule from last season. So the metrics I'm using um, are combined winning percentages from opponents from 2020. Um, so in the top spot is Pittsburgh. Uh, their opponent winning percentage was uh, 574. So the teams they played were uh, 155, 115, and two. Um, and then the next four are uh, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, Chicago, uh, the Packers, and the Vikings. Um, it's also really intriguing how a lot of these teams on the top are kind of from the same division. Each of the top seven teams are um, all from either uh, the, the AFC North or the NFC North. Um, so I think that just kind of shows how historically strong those divisions have been throughout the years. Um, I think, you know, in terms of like how that kind of ranking impacts a team's success, I do think it's really hard to rate, um, you know, how hard a person's schedule actually is based off like year to year success. Cause I know every team can be completely different. Like these, these weren't ranked like Chicago's, um, expectations for next season are going to be completely different if uh, Justin Fields wins the week one job because, you know, Matt Nagy and uh, Ryan Pace down there, they're, they feel the pressure to win. Um, and so I think they will have Justin Fields start week one, but I think like Vegas didn't take that into account when they were setting lines. So I think like um, in terms of like, like Green Bay, for, for, for example, like Aaron Rodgers might not be a Packer um, come the uh, start of the season. So their strength of schedule um, from teams last season might be totally different. Um, with Aaron Rodgers um, not being a Packer. Um, but I do see, like, the bottom five teams are, you know, largely um, NFC East teams. There's obviously the Eagles and the Cowboys have the easiest schedules, um, as, as well as the Buccaneers and Falcons in the NFC South um, being down there as well. But um, I think it's a huge opportunity for a team like Dallas to have a uh, – their playing teams, their combined winning percentage from 2020 was uh, .452. Um, so their opponents were 122, 148, and two. Um, they're a much improved team, I believe, this this coming season, just just because they're going to get Dak Prescott back fully healthy, and added a lot on the defensive side of the ball um, to kind of shore up that defense. So I could see them making a huge leap this season um, because the NFC East is is, is always really um, really soft, um, as well um, as Atlanta. You know, adding Kyle Pitts in the draft, I think their offense is going to be one of the top three to five offenses in the entire league. So um, those are kind of like my first observations from these rankings. But obviously, yeah, a lot more to break down um, once the uh, season actually gets going. Yeah, I just wanted to throw in a, another game I'm super excited about is uh, week one uh, Patriots versus Dolphins. Like, uh, I mean, the Patriots are notorious for not being great in September and you know, the Dolphins are returning a great team. Big storyline there. Mac Jones could be playing Tua. You know, who knows what our quarterback situation will, will unfold like. But if that's the case, you know, the two Alabama quarterbacks facing off the young guys, and that would be pretty awesome to see. Um, and then I already talked about Patriots versus Bucks. Um, Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. Uh, tickets right now in New England are starting at like $1,200 and that's only going to go up. Um, and so that's pretty crazy. Um, and then Eagles versus Bucks. 
I'm hoping to make it out to that game since it'll be in uh, in Philadelphia. And so we can go from Nova. So those are some, some more that I'm excited about. Yeah, one thing I'll add as well is I think it's intriguing how they gave the Packers, uh, I think it's either four or five primetime games because I don't think they would ever do that um, if they were if uh, Vegas or the league was confident that Aaron Rodgers would get traded because they don't the, the last thing they they want is uh, Jordan Love like like putting up eggs in primetime and not having games be competitive. So I think that that's kind of a little a little like saber metric there that I do think that um, Aaron Rodgers when it's all said and done will will be a Packer. I think um, had a trade gotten done, I think it would have been before the NFL draft. So the Packers could have restocked via the draft. But um, I do think at this point, it's either Aaron's going to take a year off or um, he'll just have to suck it up and play. But that's an intriguing fact as well. Yeah. So on that, is it possible? I know this is, this is possible in college, but is it possible for them to switch halfway through the year? Like which ones are prime time and which ones are not? Yeah, they can flex games, but I think it's like kind of frowned upon to do that because I think like, I don't know, I just think it because teams teams prepare, I think, a little bit differently if they know they're going to be on prime time or not. Um, that might not be true, but I just know that like Kirk Cousins hypes himself up like years in advance if he knows he's going to be playing on like Monday Night Football. So I don't think they'll do that very often, but I know sometimes if it's like, you know, Eagles, Cowboys, and they're both like four and ten, like they'll they'll do something about that. But yeah. Yeah, because there was that the drama last year with the like I think it was the Steelers who got the Steelers Steelers Ravens game that got flexed from like Monday to Tuesday because of COVID stuff, and that really throws out the whole a whole week of training, which is a problem. So it, it's really interesting to see, and I know we've been talking about this like super early on, and it's a lot of fun, but it's also you know so so long before the season, you can't even bet on the Packers win total right now because you know Aaron Rodgers' future is not currently known. And Andrew's talking about a little bit about strength schedule. I want to touch on that a little bit. Uh, and you guys are both getting at it a little bit with Mac Jones and Justin Fields. Uh, but I looked at this and was trying to look at the strength schedule because, you know, we had this class of rookie quarterbacks. It's been, you know, renowned as one of the one of the best. And I wanted to see kind of what what types of schedules do these quarterbacks face. And the list that I'm using is a little different than Andrew's. Mine is uh, win totals by kind of so what you want to bet, win totals, what Vegas sets the line at. Uh for the win totals for each of these teams and the combination of all those throughout the year. And so the bears are six compared to three for what Andrew said. So that's, that's interesting with a team that's not as strongly built having Justin Fields there could be, could be a struggle throughout the year. Uh, you look at the jets on this list are 16. So a little bit middle of the path. Then that factors into see what, what uh, Zach Wilson will be able to do there. Uh, he's got some tools there with Corey Davis and, you know, they, they short up that offensive line with alleged Vera Tucker in the draft, but that schedule is certainly not easy. So I'm interested to see. And also with the Patriots, you know, Mac Jones may not be a day one starter, may be a starter. It's hard to know right now uh, so far ahead of the season, because you got other guys in the room there, but you know, a, a schedule that's not too difficult. You could ease them in, especially if Cam Newton's not, not doing all that later on. And then, uh, finally, you got the Jaguars down at 29 here. And I think it probably factors in that the AFC South is not going to be that strong this year. Uh, and they're actually favored in their very first game of the year against Houston, who Houston are just going to be, you know, bottom of the league this year. But, you know, I think Trevor Lawrence could have a, a, a nice, nice rookie year with uh, with some of the teams in the division they're going to face in a, in a pretty easy streak schedule. 
That I think too. Like I think that's purposeful by the league. I think they give certain teams when when they have guys who can be the face of the NFL. I think they give them favorable schedules early in their career to to like help their confidence. Like just like looking at the Bears' schedule, um, you know, I think there's a clear opportunity like week three against uh, the Bengals to put in Fields because I think if you threw him in against Miami or or uh, Tennessee early on, he might not do as as uh, well as you'd want because they're those teams are both pretty stacked defensively. Um, but, you know, with Cincinnati, if Andy Dalton isn't, you know, the guy that they can win with the first two weeks, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure um, on the account of the Bears coaching staff to put in fields uh, week three, which could kind of be like a Justin Herbert kind of thing where he comes in week two and then doesn't give the job back um, either. But yeah, just like the Bears schedule right now is just ridiculously hard. Like they go Miami, Tennessee, Cincinnati, which basically is a must-win game considering the rest of the, of their games, they then go to Buffalo, LA Rams, and Browns. Like that is just a meat grinder of a first six weeks, and I think they could easily be one and five. So at that point, then you do do you consider putting in Fields at all if you're one and five, and then guys are getting hurt, guys are losing, team morale is low. Do you do you throw your rookie into the fire and kind of maybe lose some of his confidence? Those are all questions that get raised because of how these uh, schedules are kind of constructed. So I think those are all important facts to note. Um, I guess of the five rookie quarterbacks um, taken in the first round as well, I don't, I only think that two of them will, will begin the season as a, as uh, starters. I think it's Zach Wilson and uh, Trevor Lawrence. Um, It's just kind of funny to me that, you know, this is going to be like, I think that the Niners selection of Trey Lance like was pretty much applauded by the media um, in large part, just because they didn't take Mac Jones, but um, it's going to come back. I think mid season, there's going to be a lot of pressure to put in a guy you spent three first round picks to go up and get to, to like put in. That's another like kind of like interesting point of the, just the fact that we have so many like new quarterbacks this season um, that might take um, new jobs. I think that's going to be as fans of the game and as fans of like journalism uh, with sports, I think those um, are all going to be awesome things to like keep track of uh, as the season wears on. Yeah, and uh, Trevor Lawrence has got has got a new weapon down in in Jacksonville. Uh, Tim Tebow <laughs> coming through. Oh, yeah. It's nice young guy, young talent right there. <laughs> Urban Meyer is just a joke. Like I just he comes in and thinks that he runs the NFL and can do whatever he wants. Um, Tim Tebow is less than a zero percent chance that he makes the opening day roster. I heard a take on ESPN that they signed him to take pressure off of Trevor Lawrence so that there'll be a lot of like media attention on Tim Tebow during minicamp and not as much lights on him. But if you take a guy number one overall, you should expect him to be like able to handle the pressure. Like I don't think anybody's questioning Trevor Lawrence's like poise. So I think that's just a dumb take. Um, and I think just, Urban Meyer, like for example, like the, the selection of Travis Etienne in the first round when you already have James Robinson, um, like apparently they're trying out Etienne at receiver. It's like he's trying to create Percy Harvin 2.0 at Florida, and he's trying to, to think that he's some, some football god and can change these guys' careers and move them positions just because he's Urban Meyer. Like that, that to me is just like a very arrogant way of coaching, and I think like to sign Tim Tebow before a guy like Colin Kaepernick is signed by an NFL team is just ridiculous to me. I think it's an absolute joke. I think um, the only way Tim Tebow makes the opening day roster is if Urban Meyer wants to piss off more media members. 
Um, but again, I think just the entire, the fact that we're talking about this right now is just kind of, of just like annoying to me. I don't know. What do you guys think? I just think about the the jerseys that are going to sell down in Jacksonville, you know, but that that's where my mind goes. I don't think that's the reason why Urban Meyer did it, but um, now that it happened, his front office might be like, oh yeah, let's keep that going. We're selling jerseys off the shelves. I mean, there's got to be, maybe you want him in the locker room or something. I mean, I, I don't know. There's no way he's I mean, getting any time on the field. I mean, it's, it's got, if it's not a publicity stunt, then I don't know what it is. Like, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. You could have just not done this and you still have a generational quarterback and you're good. Like, I mean, the Travis Etienne pick again was weird and like he can still be a use. It makes no sense to me. And again, like, I guess the goal has to be that, like, I mean, we're talking about it right now, which is like proof of, I, I don't know. It's, it's just so strange. You have the number one. I, I just don't know what angle, what, what the point of this is. Cause like, that's not a positive, like, I think it just comes down to Urban Meyer thinking that he can outsmart everybody. Like, I think he he ruins everywhere that he goes. He ruined two programs, Ohio State and Florida, um, staying them forever, and then comes to the NFL to escape all that scrutiny, um, you know, gets handed Trevor Lawrence. I'm just afraid he's going to ruin Trevor Lawrence. I, I just – I don't know. There's a lot of stuff I could say, but um, time permitting, I don't think I should. Uh you just have to prove it. Like we're right. going to have to see what they do. <laughs> I guess that's a good time, I guess, to move on to um, the NBA playoffs. So finally, it seems like the season's lasted forever, but the NBA playing tournament um, uh, a couple days away. I think the first game might be tomorrow, actually. Um, I think what are the first round matchups again? I kind of forgot what, what they are. Is, is Golden State playing LA? Yeah, so we got in the East, which is tomorrow, we've got Celtics playing the Wizards and then for the seven eight, and then nine ten is going to be Pacers versus oh Pacers versus Hornets, and then you got Lakers Warriors and Spurs. Shoot, I'm blanking. Memphis. Yeah, Spurs yeah, Memphis. Yeah, yeah, okay. I just don't under, like the entire. Like, I don't agree with the way that they're doing this playing tournament because I just think ten teams is too much. I think this was a good thing to do in for the bubble, but. The fact that there's a chance that the number seven seed can't make the playoffs um, and the number 10 team can, I think it's we're, where I think we're drawing too much into March Madness and trying to create a lot more intrigue than, you know, we want. Cause I think, you know, there could be a fluke situation where say like Anthony Davis gets hurt in the Warriors game um, and the Spurs go on a little two game run. And then now they're in the playoffs and we're deprived of an, a, a a LeBron AD run. And that, that, that to me just feels like trying to fix a problem that isn't there. And um, with that being said, like, it's going to be awesome watching the Warriors play the Lakers. Like I think, um, sorry, that, that matchup is just, is just such a great playoff matchup. But then the question is like, is this even a playoff game? Cause the loser of this game isn't eliminated. They're just pushed on to the next round and then they'll run over Memphis or uh, San Antonio's that to me and just the logic behind it I think it's an, it, like an intriguing idea but I think the execution of how they kind of structured it um leaves a lot to be desired yeah I agree I think that's a good point but like you know fluke things can happen injuries you know the the NBA has been riddled with injuries this year and you know one injury at the wrong time could really just hurt the legacy of a player like LeBron James or a team you know um and I, I totally agree with what you were saying, Andrew, like Lakers, Golden State. I 
might not have turned it on if there wasn't, you know, this playing tournament, but now that there are some stakes to it and there's a little story behind it, it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to watch the entire game. So from the NBA's perspective, I think they're going to get a lot of views. Um, so it might work for them. It might stay just for that reason. Um, but I'm a little iffy on the whole thing. I'm just kind of going to see how it plays out and then uh, see if we should keep up with it in the future. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for the league trying new things. I know they're, the WNBA is actually trying a, a midseason tournament uh, like halfway through their season, which was talked about the NBA a little bit. Something to refresh. I think 82 games in and of itself is too many games to be played. So I think, you know, some games become kind of pointless and then rushing like game number 47. And then it's like the Hornets versus like the Rockets. And it's like, I, I don't really care that much. So there's, there are things that could be done to make, you know, the, the league kind of, you know, more interesting throughout the year, you know, with 72 games, I think they're really just pushing for more interest for, for more views, for more money, really, because they had to cut the season a little bit off because of the the pandemic and having this cramped season has led to more injuries, like you said. Uh, and, you know, a lot of players have been upset about the plan. A lot of that, I think, is coming from teams that have been forced to play in the plan, which, you know, with the Lakers, they could have been better if they hadn't had so many injuries, but you could also just not, you know, win more games. That's a, the solution to, to not having to play in the plan, which, you know, is a, you know, maybe a hollow argument, but uh, I think, I don't know if they keep it, you're going to have, I feel like you're gonna have a lot of GMs of like bad teams, or like teams like the, the, the magic who for years were pushing for, or like always like locked down the seven seed in the East and then like bowed out in the first round, like year after year, then you're going to just have teams pushing for like the nine seed and like the, some coach being like, well, we made the playoffs, but like you just get dumped out of like the playing game or something like that. So like, I, I don't know. I'm all for the league trying new things. We'll have to see after this year. I, I, I think going back to normal may be the, the best move. Yeah, that makes sense to me as well. Um, you know, I think well, your point about the 82-game schedule is a good one because once we get to, like, game number 70, if you're not fighting for the playoffs, you see all these teams just kind of dumping out their G League roster to see if they have any keepers at the NBA level. And then, like, for example, I had to watch um, the Timberwolves play the, the, the Celtics a few days ago, and it was, like, Jason Tatum and the G League versus the Timberwolves who were trying to lose to get Cade Cunningham. And it's just such, like, a tough thing to see because, like, the level of basketball, I don't even want to say it was, like, backyard basketball because I think that was playing harder than what I was watching. Like, it was just missed shots, forcing threes, no defense, stat padding through the roof. And I just think, like, the NBA season is just far too long. You have you can have fluke injury. Like, if a guy like John Morant would have gotten injured in game 79 – like, how, how awful would that be for the playoffs? Like, you look at Jalen Brown. Like, he just got injured. Like, th- that the Celtics season is over. I'm sorry. They're not winning. They're not advancing in the playoffs. I can see them getting upset by, by, by Washington in the first round. You know, it just sucks because I think they were a team, had Jalen Brown been healthy, that for sure would have made a run. I think, you know, they have Brown and Tatum are both number one options. But as you see year after year, you need more than one player to carry you throughout the playoffs. And I think now losing him this late in the season, I think is a result of just the wear and tear of an 82 game season. Um, that's, that, that's really just that long to like sell more tickets and make more money for the league. Um, but like, actually like looking at the uh, bracket right now, like, I could definitely see Washington, um, you know, challenging Philadelphia. Cause I don't think that Indiana or Charlotte 
um, are going to do anything. I think Boston would have been a great matchup for uh, Philadelphia just because they historically dominate Philly. But without Jalen Brown in the lineup, like I don't, I can for sure see Bradley Beal and uh, Russell Westbrook making it through to the next round. So lots of good storylines there. I mean, at the very least, we're talking about this. So they're doing something right. Um, but we can talk a bit about this as well. I, I wanted to like just see your guys' takes on this. Like the NBA, like I have watched the NBA and kept in touch with the NBA in large part this season because the Knicks are good again. Like the fact that the Knicks are the fourth seed right now is just an absolute testament to the ability Tom Thibodeau has been able to, you know, get as much out of his roster as he can. Like obviously nobody expected Julius Randle to be this good um, this season, um, but the contributions he's gotten from the resurgence of uh, Derrick Rose, Emmanuel quickly is going to make the all rookie team. RJ Barrett has uh, taken some steps to kind of um, like uh, solidifying that his slot in the draft of being a number two overall guy. Um, they lost Mitchell Robinson and, and was able to kind of weather that storm, which is also incredible considering they're, higher um, than Boston, Miami, and Atlanta um, in the rankings. Um, so I think that is just a really interesting thing to talk about. I could see them definitely beating Atlanta, and that it's going to be awesome. I think they get matched up um, with Philadelphia um, after that, and to watch playoff basketball in the, in the uh, garden is going to be just a sight to see. So I can't wait for that. Yeah, it's it, the Knicks versus the Hawks in the first round of the entry matchup because uh, Trey Young is just such a – a tough player to guard. And I mean, yeah, it's been, it's been great to see the Knicks kind of back. I mean, Thibodeau is probably a perfect coach to take that, to take a team with that roster build into the playoffs with like a team that's not going to have like a bunch of star guys. I know he was uh, with the Bulls with Derrick Rose and Jim Beller eventually, but I mean, it's, it's great to see a team that's been hit with a ton of like uh, unluckiness, I guess to say, or really just mismanagement over the years, but they're going to need a lot more like, this team is, I think, second round that the second round ceiling probably because I mean they beat the Hawks and then they played the the Sixers most likely and then I think that's that's where they're they're bowing out. So I mean, it's been great to see them back. I just don't think it if it's the start of something for the future. I think that'd be a cool thing to see because you know the Knicks have really just not been good for a while. I mean those Carmelo teams at one point were like all right, but then you got to go back to Patrick Ewing really to see the Knicks when they were that good. They've been just scarred with drama. So, yeah, I mean, if we'd have, like, a good Knicks team with a good Lakers team and then a good a – good, the Celtics are always just, you know, hanging around there. And then a good – yeah, I mean, the league's probably the most talented it's ever been or close to it. So, you know, if the, the Knicks can find a way to get some of the talent coming their way, then we'd have a stacked league with fans coming back in arenas. Yeah, I mean, totally agree. Uh Definitely interested to see kind of what they can do in a high leverage situation. Yeah, something you guys already touched on, uh, how the Knicks, it's great to see them back. But, you know, I think it's kind of interesting that just as another New York team, Brooklyn, is, you know, looking very promising, so are the Knicks. So, you know, all those bandwagons who are just like, oh, I'm a diehard Brooklyn fan, they're just like, Oh wait, no, I've been a Knicks fan the whole time. So it's whatever, but it's, it's kind of nice to see, you know, Madison square, um, you know, those fans have been robbed for a long time, you know, ever since, in my opinion, the biggest one was uh, Zion Williamson um, somehow made it to the Pelicans. Um, but anyways, it's great to see. 
And I also wanted to touch on, um, Andrew, you were talking about uh, the Celtics first round versus the Wizards. And uh, there's a chance that Bradley Beal may not be healthy. Uh, he's got a hamstring injury, so that's something to keep an eye on. Um, and I think the Celtics are going to be, beat the Wizards um, just because, like, well, number one, we're going to need Marcus Smart to play. He's had, like, off and on injuries, and he didn't play the past couple of games, I believe. And um, we're going to need him to play. Assuming Marcus Smart's playing, I think we're going to beat them because with, like you said, we're playing with the G League and Jason Tatum. I think that's where Brad Stevens, his coaching is at its best when he can kind of take control that kind of college basketball type system where you have these younger players, less experienced, but you can show them where to go. And it reminds me of, you know, the year when we had a young Jalen Brown and a young Jason Tatum, uh, both uh, making it to game seven of the Eastern Conference finals against the Cavs and ultimately lost uh, to LeBron James. But, um, you know, that was a great success taking, you know, without Kyrie Irving, um, Brad Stevens, he doesn't need the superstars. I mean, at some point you need a superstar to win in the NBA, but he doesn't need them as much as other coaches do. And I think that's where his strength lies as a coach. Uh, yeah, I'd add as well. Um, I think those are all uh, really good points. Um, but uh, I think like when have we talked less about the number one seeds, you know, because I don't think anyone's been talking about uh, Philadelphia at the level of like Brooklyn and especially Utah. Um, with the Lakers. I mean, this entire season, I feel like, has been all caught up in how great of a teammate Chris Paul is and how he's aided uh, Booker's development down in Phoenix. Um, the Lakers' injuries all the time, you know, losing AD and uh, LeBron for extended periods of time. Steph Curry carrying the Warriors single-handedly. Um, I don't feel like there's been enough talk about just the dominance of Utah and this, and also uh, Philly. I feel like both of those teams are number one seeds for a reason. I think they're deep and talented. They have um, multiple number one options, Rudy Gobert and Mitchell in Utah, and then uh, Ben Simmons and um, Embiid for uh, Philly. But I think they, those two franchises aren't getting the amount of respect that they deserve. I think, especially when we're, when we're talking about Utah, I think they'll be able to kind of take care of business against the Clippers or Dallas. Cause I, I just think that um like their their overall depth and um, talent across the board, they're both well coached teams. I think those usually we're, we're like we're talking about Brooklyn um, and the Lakers or just whatever team has like Kyrie and LeBron as like the best teams in the playoffs and the teams that are best positioned for success. Um, but I do think that um, those those franchises deserve more respect on a national level. Um, I'll also add just quickly a. a few players on those teams I think are going to come up huge. I think Bohan Bogdanovich on Utah is going to have a huge playoff series. I think there's going to be extra attention being given um, to Mike Conley uh, and uh, Mitchell to score and like carry the offensive load. But Utah didn't have Bogdanovich last season uh, for their bubble run. And I think that affected their overall depth. Um, they had to play Royce, Royce O'Neal way too much. And I think that, um, he's going to give them a legit number three option um, to, to kind of balance out their offensive attack. And I think that's going to be an X factor in their ability to reach the Western conference finals. I believe that they will um, in terms of uh, Philadelphia, 
I love their acquisition of George Hill. I think he, to give them that like second league guard off the bench, I think they were rumored to get Kyle Lowry a lot at the trade deadline. That didn't work out, but they ended up only having to give up um, a few marginal pieces and a uh, late draft pick for George Hill. Um, the guy's a playoff tested winner. Um, I think he's going to be huge in like three guard lineups for, for Philly when they have to put Ben Simmons on the bench or if they need more shooting. I think he's going to be a catalyst for them offensively and kind of take the, some more pressure off of Ben Simmons to be an offensive scoring machine because I think he's best used in that Swiss Army knife role where he can take advantage of what defenses give him offensively and be that multi-positional defender. Um, Joel Embiid obviously is the most – I believe dominant offensive player in uh, basketball just, just because of his brute physicality and ability to do so many things offensively. Um, but yeah, watch out for those two franchises, Brooklyn, obviously um, I believe they're actually not going to make the Eastern conference finals. Um, there's a, a, a stat out there that um, whatever team has their top three highest paid players like play less than like, 25 or like 26 games together that that team has never made uh, the NBA finals. I think that Brooklyn, I think would have a better chance of advancing in the postseason If one of their big three was actually injured, I think they don't have enough time um, as a cohesive unit together um, to really like have that chemistry that you need to advance in the playoffs. Um, I think they have a lot of tough matchups right out of the gate. Um, you know, they'll have to play uh, the winner of Washington and Boston. Um, and then the Bucks right after that, um, both of those teams aren't going to be um, g- games that, they're, that they'll be able to kind of like run over, especially if Washington gets past Boston in the first round. Um, but I think the fact that there's only one ball and I think all these things are going to come to fruition in the playoffs, um, that one of the three players is not going to get the ball enough. And I think there's going to be a lot of missed shots and uh, defensive mishaps because of the fact that they haven't logged enough minutes to together this season. So lots of good uh, talks about these matchups, but obviously time will tell and I uh, can't wait to watch. Yeah. I think talk about the jobs. I think that's a good point. I think it, why they haven't been talked about is because they just have this identity that's been established over the past couple of years and not making it that far. And now they've got six guys who are all averaging double digits. I mean, Jordan Clarkson out of nowhere is averaging 18 points a game uh, off the bench which is incredible. I think he, I mean, he had 33 last night on six to 12 from, from three point range. And you just have so many guys who can hurt you on one night. I mean, Joe Ingles can, can have 30 in a game. And I mean, when you have that many guys, you have Rudy Gobert, who's just going to be a, a defensive force in the paint. I think he's a defensive player of the year for, for me. Uh, and just having, having that versatility, you have Donovan Mitchell, a guy at the end of a game, you can give him the ball. He's, he's going to get you a bucket. So you have kind of all the pieces there. And we just got to have to see it come together in the playoffs. And, you know, you got, I mean, the reason we talk about LeBron is because, I mean, I, I'd like to meet the person who bet against LeBron because I, that's certainly not going to be me. Um, so it'll be interesting to see there. The Suns, I think, you know, having that run in the bubble last year, they were just not been very good. And it's kind of the first time they're there. So I think that's why you know, we're seeing a lot of discourse about them. Uh, and for the Sixers, I think the big thing this year is the playoffs. I mean, they've been better this year. They had a little bit of a shakeup. Uh, especially trading, making that trade with the Mavs to get to bring Seth Curry on board. I think it's been, been great this year uh, and having kind of a new coach in the system, new new front office as well. So I, they, they just will need to prove in the playoffs. I think 
I don't, I don't know I, about the Nets. I mean, I think they genuinely might have the greatest offense, you know, ever outside of maybe the Warriors, just with those three. I mean, it, it may get ugly in the playoffs, just given the isolation, ISO nature of those those three guys, especially in playoff games and points. But I mean, when you have all three of them out on the court, it's you can't guard them. Like he, it's it's impossible. I mean, it's hard. There's hardly anybody on planet Earth who can guard a single one of them, much less three of them on the court at the same time. So, I mean, it, it's a good point with the Bucks because I mean, Giannis is similarly unstoppable. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it'll be so much fun to see these series kind of play out. And you know, with those seven game series, it becomes such a chess match, and kind of seeing those teams battle and make adjustments. So, uh, definitely excited. Also, I'll add quickly, I think it's going to be really fun to see how Milwaukee adjusts to, like, how teams play Giannis in the playoffs when they just pack the paint and make him shoot. The last two seasons, I think they've failed to make adjustments um, to kind of optimize Giannis and get him easy buckets. But um, I think if they are not able to to do that this season and if they um, don't make the uh, finals, I think uh, Coach Budenholzer, their head coach, is, is, is going to be fired. So also intriguing. Yeah, I mean, you guys just gave a great uh, rundown of the whole league uh, in terms of playoffs. But, yeah, I'll just comment a little on the Nets. Like, I was talking to Noah before this, and it was like, all three of them are going to be healthy, like, for the playoffs. Like, if that's the case, then I I know chemistry is important, but on some level, buckets are more important. And I think that they can do that better than anyone else in the league. And, um you know, I think Kevin Durant has been notorious for not being selfish while still being one of the baddest dudes in the league, um, if not the baddest at his, at his peak. And I think uh, all of them together, it, it might be too much. It's just a matter of injuries. Yep. Um, I think that that uh, really does it. Um, I think we'll be back next week or sometime recapping the playing tournament and just like the first round as well. But it's going to be um, really fun to kind of talk about um, how these playoffs unfold. Um, that being said, I, I think let's move on to other roundup um, in, in, in the MLB. So we're officially a few months into the season um, and I'll kind of go over just uh, some teams that have been dominant um, recently and then some teams that um, have yet to kind of get going. Um, I'll start with the White Sox. Um, the White Sox are eight and two over their past 10 games and kind of are taking command of the AL Central. Um, you know, they have the best uh, run differential in baseball at plus 61, and they also have the best record, which is 24 and 15. Um, more importantly, they're getting a lot of great contributions from their young um, kind of stars. Uh, for example, uh, Dylan Cease, one of their young pitchers, they've won five straight games that he started um, uh, through those, through those five games, he's 2-0 with a 1.67 ERA. Um, I think the combination of uh, veteran talent on that team, like you got you got guys like Yasmani Grandal, Jose Abreu, uh, Yoan Moncada, um, as well as their young hitters um, coming up as well, like uh, Luis Robert, uh, Tim Anderson, all those guys. I think their offense is always going to be uh, one of the best in, in, in the MLB, but if they can get these kinds of contributions from their pitching staff – especially from their young guys. I think um, they're right now my favorite for the number one overall seed um, in October. Um, Additionally, uh, the Red Sox um, have been red hot. They've already passed their win total from last season. 
um, which was albeit 60 games long, but still. Um, over their last three games, um, they've outscored opponents 21 to four. Um, their offense leads the majors in runs, um, slugging, and extra base hits. Um, uh, their their uh, shortstop Xander Bogarts, I don't think gets enough respect um, for just how good of an offensive threat he is. Um, they're kind of redis rediscovering their 2018 form um, because this lineup is absolutely loaded um, with with guys like JD Martinez, Rafael Devers, and uh, Xander Bogarts hitting the way that they are. Um, I think this team is is going to be at the top of the of the AL East all season, and especially once they get Chris Sale back from injury, I think. Um, they'll be one of the favorites to kind of go far in October as well. Um, a few other teams to mention as well are uh, the Astros. Um, I hate the Astros because I think they're cheaters um, and I hate the franchise, but it doesn't change the fact um, that they were eight and two in their last uh, 10 game homestand. Um, Jose Altuve has kind of gotten back to his peak form. He's batting 400 over his last 11 games. Um, but, one of their young hitters, uh, Jordan Alvarez, is hitting 408 with five home runs uh, through his past uh, 17 games. And uh, their first baseman, Yuli Gurriel, um, is slashing 321 over his last 22 games. So those are all extended periods of uh, dominance from uh, their key hitters. Um, they do have some question marks on the uh, pitching side of things, but um, I think their offense uh, will be able to carry them throughout this um, in the AOS, considering it's not particularly strong. Uh, and then I guess I'll talk about a team that has severely underperformed um, this season. Uh, I'm sure you guys have other teams as well, but the Twins, the Minnesota Twins, my hometown team, have been absolutely terrible. We have sucked. We are the worst record in, in, in the MLB. We are 0-7 in extra inning games. Um, and I, I think we have one one win, one run win this season. Um so, I mean, we, um, our pitching staff has been a disaster outside of Jose Barrios. Kenta Maeda was, was uh, of an AL Cy Young uh, finalist last season, but he has an ERA over five so far this season. Our back end uh, pitchers um, like Matt Shoemaker have been um, jacked around uh, by the rest of the AL Central. And our offense has been terrible outside of uh, Nelson Cruz and uh, Byron Buxton. Byron Buxton has been one of the best hitters in the game this season, but he's currently on the IL. Um, we haven't gotten anything out of our guys that we need to start hitting, like Josh Donaldson, uh, Max Kepler, and especially uh, Miguel Sano. So that's the team I think we were kind of ranked in the top five, top ten uh, consistently throughout the offseason, um, especially with our addition um, of a healthy Josh Donaldson. But at this point, um, the playoffs are severely in question, and I think we will be in the top ten picks once the MLB draft comes around. So I'm intrigued though, what you guys have to say about um, the rest of the, of, of the MLB. I know Kevin, you probably have a lot to say about the Red Sox as well. Yeah, no, I was lucky enough to actually go to a Red Sox game on Friday. Um, so it was great to see they beat the angels. Um, and it was also great to see Mike Trout who's having, you know, the best year of his career, even, even though his whole career has been legendary. So it was great to see both of those um, good teams right now and uh i think the red sox they as the only thing i'm worried about is their pitching but you know there's they seem to be here and you know just shout outs to guys like jd martin jd martinez and xander bogarts and you know all, all these guys are really stepping up and you know surprising me a little bit and so let's let's hope it, they can keep it going 
I don't have too much to add, but a guy I wanted to ask about from you guys, at least from your point of view, because I'm not a big baseball guy. I've seen a lot about this Shohei Otani guy. Is he like having a, a good year? Like I, I've heard like good, great things, but like, give me, well, give me like the, the like profile of him. Yeah. I mean, he's been insane. Uh, he's the closest thing I think baseball's had to Babe Ruth um, in terms of his ability to play two ways. Um, this season he's batting only 262, but he's got 12 home runs, which is one of the top in the MLB. Um, he, and he also pitches, and he's a good pitcher. Um, he's lightning quick. He's like 6'5", 210. Um, he, I think he's one of the best young hitters in the game, and uh, he's, he, he's a ton of fun to watch um, with the Angels. But I don't know why the Angels aren't better, because, you know, they have a guy like – Anthony Rendon, who was the best hitter on the uh, Nationals World Series run a few years ago. Um, he has a huge contract. Mike Trout has been great. They got a young first baseman named Jared Walsh, who's kind of set the league on fire. And, and then they have Otani. So the fact that they can't figure out their pitching staff sucks. Um, but in terms of your question about Shohei Otani, um, he's one of the best, most electric young hitters and pitchers in baseball. Um, and is going to be a guy that's going to kind of carry the MLB brand for the next like 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And some more news with the angels is they uh, dropped uh, Albert Pujols, which, you know, was surprising to me because you would think they would just respect, you know, a guy, a legend of the game. Um, and I think that was a mistake paying them. Everyone knows that was a mistake paying them that much money and not focusing on their pitching to actually get into the playoffs and use these power hitters. But um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Albert Pujols? Pujols. Yeah, that's a bad look from the Angels. Um, I think like some players that have like legendary careers, I think operate from a different set of rules than the rest of, of, of the MLB. I mean, you you sign the guy to a 10-year, like $500 million deal and to cut him in the last year of his deal um, midway through the season, um, I think is just kind of disrespectful to a player of his caliber. I think it kind of – the casual baseball fans see that like, and could be like, oh, I like Albert Pujols has like fallen off. Like he must suck now. I think that does a disservice to the legendary career that he's had. Um, I'm surprised that they, that the Cardinals didn't sign him um, to kind of, kind of uh, end his career back where it started in uh, St. Louis, but he's back on the Dodgers now, which I like, he'll be able to contend for a title. But I think with guys like that, um, especially with a guy like Pujols, who's been a long tenured angels player, like there are other there are other ways to kind of not play him um, than release him. Like, at the very least, he can give the young guys great mentorship. Um, so I think like making a move, like putting him on the IL or like something, or um, just having him like be a bench guy, I think that would be a lot better for his career than than what they did. So that was kind of tough. tough to see. But yeah, I mean that's all I really got about the MLB. It's uh, it's still a bit early to kind of talk about the playoffs because we got so much time left. Um, of the season but um, yeah basically the best teams have been really good and most of the teams that weren't expected to be very good have not been very good Um, so but I mean one thing I'll say as well just quickly uh, it's funny how the best record in the MLB is the White Sox and they're only 24 and 15 like they're not even 10 games over 500 so I think that's going to set up the MLB for a great playoffs because there's not much of a gap between the best teams and the like the teams that aren't as good because usually at this point of the season, I mean, um, we're like we're almost 40 games into the season 
And to not have a team be 10 games over 500 in the entire, you know, MLB is pretty unheard of. So um, that's great for the, for the uh, sport competition as well. But I guess let's move on to our final kind of round roundup of the week, soccer roundup. Um, Noah, I'll, I'll let you take that away on that one. Yeah, for sure. So it's been a, a busy couple of weeks. Uh, most of the, the leagues are, are winding to a close here in Europe. So I'll go briefly over the big five leagues. So it's going to be England, Italy, Germany, Spain, uh, and France, and just round up quickly what's going on in those leagues, what to expect over a, either this coming weekend. Where there's, a, there's a lot a lot going down, a, a lot kind of on the line, really, this coming weekend. So uh, we'll start in England, biggest league, the Premier League. Manchester City clinched the title uh, a week and a half ago about, uh, but there's still a race for a top four spot. And so when you finish top four in the Premier League, that means you secure Champions League qualification, which is a huge financial pitfall. And it's also uh, really important for, to kind of, you know, attract the biggest players. It, it's really important to finish in the top four for the biggest clubs. So you've got uh, three teams battling for two spots right now. You got Chelsea, Leicester City and Liverpool, all within three points of each other. But Chelsea and Leicester are playing each other uh, tomorrow. So and Liverpool. So it, it, it's really going to come down to the wire it may be decided on kind of how many goals were scored like throughout the year which is kind of a, a crazy tiebreaker if you look at kind of the underlying numbers expected goals which is kind of a better way of identifying kind of how well a team is playing Liverpool and Chelsea are playing much better than their records may deserve but uh, and a really cool story this past weekend Liverpool were tied with a, a lower side team in the 94th minute their goalie scored a winner on a header to score the first ever headed goal and by a goalie in Premier League history, crazy goal uh, and a crazy moment for, for the guy. Really, really great story. But now moving on to Italy, Inter Milan secured the title uh, for the first time in 13 years about. Uh, Juventus had won the last nine, but are really kind of spinning out of control at this point. Uh, also a top four race there for Champions League. Juventus is fighting with Napoli and AC Milan. Uh, they're all within two points of each other. Uh, with one game left to go, so Juventus really need really need something here to to secure top four spot. Um, AC Milan is playing second place at Atlanta, so which could open the door for Juventus to make it back. But I mean, this is just a, a really bad season for Juventus, and they've got a lot kind of coming down this offseason. They're going to have to make some tough decisions. Uh, the way they hired their coach Andrea Pirlo, uh, he had very little experience coaching. Uh, and he was coaching the under 23 team for about 10 days and then got promoted to the number one role. Uh, and that has really gone down downhill after losing the Champions League to Porto, which are really unfortunate. Shouldn't have happened that way. And then also not making top four would be a huge miss for a team that's won the past nine titles in a row. So a tough season for them. It'll be interesting to see if they can you know, sneak in there at the last moment or, or really get kind of get stuck out. Uh, moving on to Germany. So Bayern Munich secured the title, not a huge surprise. And, and Borussia Dortmund is looking to secure top four spot, which is, you know, was not 100% sure over the past couple of weeks. Big story there is really the managers kind of moving all over the place. Bayern Munich's manager uh, is moving on to the Germany job. He left their role, his role there. It's a, he kind of had some, some qualms with the, the front office there. Uh, kind of crazy that a guy who won the Champions League and the title, and then won the title the next year is leaving. And then a coach from a different team. It, it's crazy that kind of coaches are just kind of flying around different teams in Germany. And there's actually an American manager moving on to, to Germany 
Uh, Jesse Marsh is moving on to RB Leipzig, which is a, a name to watch and certainly a reason to, to watch the team. He's he's been he's had a great time at RB Salzburg in Austria and moving on to a different team should be fun to watch next year. Uh, but definitely the story there is all the coaches kind of moving around uh, in different ways and really shuffling kind of the the way teams will be playing next season for sure. Uh, moving on to kind of Spain. Uh, it's one game left in the season to decide the title. This this is one of two leagues with the title yet to be decided. You've got Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid. So Atletico Madrid are on 83 points, and they face 19th place Real Valladolid in the last game of the season. If they win, they secure the title. However, if they draw and Real Madrid are able to win their last game against Villarreal, then they lose the title. So Atletico Madrid win, and they win the title. But then if they lose or draw, they let Real Madrid in the door, uh, which is, is kind of crazy. Atletico Madrid has been leading the league for uh, the past handful of months, and they were they were down 1-0 to Osasuna at the weekend and ended up scoring two goals in the last 10 minutes, uh, Courtesy one courtesy of Luis Suarez, who was sold to them by Barcelona at a really cut-rate price uh, this past summer and was really kind of criticized at the time and is really looking damning now as he scores maybe one of the goals that's going to lead you know, one of their competitors to the title and Barcelona ended up, you know, drawing this weekend, which took them out of the title race. It was down to four teams this past weekend before uh, Sevilla lost 4-0 and, and Barcelona ended up drawing. Uh, so it'll, it'll come down to the last day for Atletico and Real. Uh, it's looking like Atletico are going to be able to secure it, but, you know, who knows? Might, see, might get some drama on this last game of the season. Moving on to France, uh, some interesting storylines here. So we've got Lille and PSG who are, one point away, separated. Lille ended up uh, losing it this past weekend and, and let, letting PSG back in the door. So PSG is one point behind Lille. So they're going to need Lille to draw or lose uh, to end up securing the title. But it, it's crazy because PSG financially is just a huge, you know, much bigger than any other team in Ligue 1. And kind of the fact that they have Neymar and Mbappe, two of the best attackers in the entire world, have not been able to have a better season or really dominate Ligue 1 like they have in the past is, has been a problem. Uh, and Neymar have recently signed a new contract, but Mbappe's, you know, hasn't yet, which is a, a big problem for the club. So, I mean, PSG's underlying numbers are much better than Lille. And so, you know, who knows that they, in, in a, such a small sample size of the season, you know, that time doesn't have enough, there's not enough time for, for those numbers to catch up. So uh, if Lille can secure the title, it would be, it'd be great for them, but you know, they're facing some significant financial difficulties there. Owner was forced to sell most recently. Uh, the France league actually had a huge problem with their, with their media deal. They were initially signed with one TV company, but uh, ended up, you know, opting for a different one at a, at a much better price. But this, this other company called media pro uh, didn't have an actually a live television service at the time. Uh, and the deal ended up falling through. And now a lot of these French clubs are kind of, facing some real difficulties financially. And I think you're going to see a lot of players from, from France sold in the summer to, to clubs in probably England, I would say, because a lot of the, the teams in Spain don't have the the, the funds at, the, at this moment to pay a lot for these players. So, yeah, definitely Spain and France are going to be the places to look for games deciding the title. But there are some interesting games, uh, particularly in England, uh, to watch for kind of Chelsea and Liverpool and Leicester to see kind of who can can kind of say really save their season to secure top four spots. So a lot of storylines, a lot happening as as the season rounds out. So I just want to kind of give an update on those those five leagues. Sweet. Well, I got nothing to add off of that. That's all great um, breakdown. Um, 
yeah, that kind of wraps it up. Um, great episode. We got through a lot of stuff. We got through like five different leagues. So, um, you know, great, great recaps of different leagues. A great look forward to the NBA in these next couple of days. And uh, can't wait to be back soon to kind of break down uh, what comes next. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone.